Hey, if you're new, my name is Tim. I'm the lead pastor, and we're just honored. I, listen, daylight savings time weekend and snow, and you came to church here, that's worth something. So thank you so much. If you're new, we just welcome you. If you're new online, it's great to have you with us. And you're catching us at the tail end of a series. Hey, next week, we're, we're going to launch into a series that's going to be about Jesus. And so if you've been coming to church going, I kind of want to know about, like, spiritual things. Okay, all the stuff we've been talking about for the last several weeks are spiritual things, but I understand that. Next week, come back if you want a, maybe a little bit more of a normal message. But if you are new, you're catching us at the end of kind of a unique series where what we've been trying to do is address the most controversial topics, the most, uh, I don't know, I guess the current conversations that are happening in our culture today. And so we've addressed some really tense and sensitive subjects, and we've tried to do it with tr both truth and grace. Can I just say, if you miss any of them, please go back and catch up. I think they're really important, and I'm not saying that because of the messages that I preach. I just think these conversations, you know what I, I feel like has been my, my hope, my heart in all of them, is that, I, and, and I want you to hear this, I'm not an expert in all these subjects by any stretch of the means, okay? And so if I've messed anything up, I apologize. I'm, I'm just a pastor, okay? I can just claim that here, but... Uh, it, I, I want to say this has been my heart and why we've even done this series is because I think in all of these topics culturally, what I want to do is I want to help our church know how to think about them and talk about them in light of Scripture, but also, and just as equally important, is I want to help our church know how to react or respond to these conversations with God's heart. I, can I just tell you I think that's just as equally important? It's like we all sometimes think, oh, my theology and what I think about this is important. It is. Can I tell you what's maybe even more important your theology, the kind of person you are, and how you react to people that think different than you? It's just as critical, and it matters just as much. And so that's kind of been kind of my dual purpose in going through these topics. And so I, I appreciate it. And I just want to say thank you for giving me the grace to do this. I know I probably made some of you mad. I probably, it's gotten tense it's sometimes. It's gotten a little uncomfortable. Thank you for allowing me to do that, and still, like, we can be community together. And here's what I do know. We will never grow if we are not challenged. You will not grow if you are always comfortable. And so recognize those kind of, the kind of moments that stretch us and help us to grow. And that's, that's what the series has been about. Now, today, as we wrap this up, I want to talk about what I think is probably the most relevant, it's probably the most current conversation that is happening in our culture today, and I want to talk about gender identity or transgenderism. I don't know if you've noticed this, but it seems like that has become the most popular conversation in all of our cultural environments. Have you noticed that? You can find it in social media. You'll see it if you watch the award shows. You hear Hollywood. You hear anybody talking. Everything is about transgenderism. It's about gender identity. This is by far the most significant conversation, at least timely, that's happening in our culture today. Now, I, I want us to recognize something. If you go back to about maybe before the 1960s, maybe it was late 1960s, kind of early 1970s, until those moments, uh, the thought of sex and gender were basically the same thing, okay? If someone uh, made reference to your biological sex or your gender, and they used those terms, we could use them interchangeably. It didn't matter. Everybody knew what we were talking about. There was little confusion around the idea of someone's biological sex and their gender. 
Very little confusion. The only people who were confused were the people who literally felt like they did not match their biology, okay? And so it, it really wasn't until about maybe the 70s that things began to change culturally where we started to see this split happening with these two ideas, okay? For me, the moment when I really recognized that it kind of, it was just propelled into the spotlight of our cultural conversation, for me, when I think back, it was the emergence of Caitlyn Jenner. Do you remember that? When Bruce Jenner, formerly, now became Caitlyn Jenner publicly in 2015. And when that happened, it feels like everything just kind of like just turned toward the conversation about transgenderism in our culture and our community, and I understand that. And can I be honest? Like, this is such a new conversation, and there's so many terms, and there's so many different things flying around that I have found myself at times being just honestly really confused. I don't know if any of you have felt like that about this conversation, but I have found myself at times just feeling confused. I don't know what I should think. I don't know what to believe about this. And, and, and I remember even as a pastor, probably about four years ago or so, um, I had a mom that approached me one Sunday. It was after our experience. And I was hanging out, and uh, she came and, and kind of cornered me. And I, I mentioned something, I think, about sexuality, gender, and the, con- the conversation and uh, she, she approached me and she said, uh, Pastor, she said, my daughter is in the process of transitioning. Like she, she tells me that she's not a, a girl anymore, that she's going to be a boy and that's her true identity and all this stuff. And she said, I don't, I don't know what to do. She said, what do I do? She, I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, I don't, I don't know what, what I'm supposed to do. I don't know how to think about this. And she said, what's the Bible say about this? And I just looked at her and I said, I don't know. I know. They were like, that's a real pastoral answer. To it. That was great. I, I'm being honest. I, it was like, I don't know how to think about this. I don't know how to talk about this. I don't know what the Bible says about this. That was several years ago. And thankfully, we've kind of, there, there are a lot of people really stepping into this to try to help us understand it. I'm going to rely on what I've been learning in this process to talk about this and Here's what I want us to understand. It's a very, very new conversation. It is changing rapidly. The, the language, the terms, everything is changing so quickly. So before we dive into talking about gender identity today, I wanna start us off with some basic terms and definitions so that we can kind of all understand what we're talking about together. And so I, I've got a few of them. Let me share them with you. Uh, the first term that I'll talk about is just the, the big umbrella term, transgender. What does that mean? It's, it's kind of this big, overarching concept, word, or term that covers a wide spectrum of people who at times feel like their gender identity does not match their biological sex. Okay, so this, by the way, is a huge range. It could be someone who just does not feel masculine. Like, I, I don't know, I just can't identify because I just can't throw a football and everybody, I just don't. Or it could be somebody who wrestles with gender dysphoria and feels trapped in their, vibe, in their body, okay? So it's a big umbrella term, transgender, right? Okay, binary, you've probably heard this before, but basically it means two. Binary is only two options for gender, male and female. Now, uh, an emergence out of that has been non-binary, 
There's people that will say, I identify non-binary. What are they saying? They're saying it's a wide range of gender identities that is not limited to the two primary sexes. These are people who say, I don't fit into male and female non-binary. Or I, I feel like I'm a male one day or one month or one season and maybe female later. later so they're gender fluid maybe. So non-binary, it's a term, okay? Uh, cisgender are people who feel comfortable identifying with their biological sex. Okay, so that's, those are the ones that would not be transgender, they're cisgender. Intersex are people who are born with some combination of the male and female sex. Uh, now, we're going to come back to intersex. That is a medical condition, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Gender dysphoria, this is a really big term, and I would encourage everybody to try to understand this. Gender dysphoria is a tension or stress that one feels when their physical body doesn't match their sense of self. Gender dysphoria is, um, can I just say, is even like, it, it is medically diagnosed. Gender dysphoria is an internal tension that some people feel when, when they feel like, I don't match my biology. This is a real thing, okay? I, I want Because some people think, is this all just something that people want to do or whatever? Gender dysphoria, and this is something that I've never dealt with and maybe many of you haven't, but you need to recognize there are people that feel, they physiologically feel something. In fact, if you ever learn and read up on how people would describe gender dysphoria, they'll use language sometimes. They'll say, um, I feel like when I'm out and around to other people, I feel like everybody is staring at me, looking at me. I feel so uncomfortable in my own skin that, that it causes fear and anxiety to rise up physiologically in me. Other people have said that it feels like electric current is running through their body. Or some would say they feel both numb and extreme pain at the same time. So I don't know how you can understand that, but that, that's how some people describe it, like coursing through their blood vessels. So this is a real condition, okay? Gender dysphoria is a real medical condition that gets diagnosed that people feel this internal tension. There's something between the emotional and the physical that just results in people feeling like I don't fit. Now, let me just say this. If you're here and, and you feel like I don't fit, if you're here when it comes to gender and you struggle, and, and I know that there are people in our community, there's people that some of us all know, friends and family. Can I just say this? If you're here and you wrestle with gender dysphoria and you feel that way, um, I, I wanna just first say how incredibly brave. I, I wanna recognize, do you know how hard it is to walk into a church where most of the time people in the church have not really understood or had a lot of grace for people who wrestle with this? And so I just wanna applaud you and say thank you for being here. I, I am, I wanna say, if you're here and you wrestle with gender dysphoria, you wrestle with gender identity, I'm glad you're here. I, I want you to hear that. I'm glad you're here. I want you to be here. We wanna, I want you to know this, that we are so glad you're here. And I want you to hear this. God loves you. God loves you. You, you see why? You, want, you know why I feel so passionately about this and why it's so important? is because the overarching narrative that tends to go with people who wrestle with gender dysphoria, gender identity crisis, is a really high rate of suicide. It's a, real, it's a real thing. In fact, one study that I read said for transgender youth, that as high as about 82% of transgender youth think about committing suicide. That's a lot of people. 
And so I, I think as easy as it is sometimes to think that this is just a subject to debate, these are real lives, real people that are really struggling. And I think the big question that a lot of times we have in our culture when things like this come up is we want to know how does this come to be? How do, how do people feel this? And there's always a massive debate and through a lot of things we've been talking about in this series. Is it, is it nature or is it nurture? Is it genetic? Is it scientific? Is it DNA? Is it that, or is it environment? Is it how they grew up? If they didn't have the right kind of parenting, if they had a traumatic experience, what causes people to experience all this? The truth is, uh, we can't pinpoint that it's just nature or nurture, and very likely, as complex as this is, it, it's probably the combination of both that people feel this way. And, and some may wonder, how is it that we've gotten to this point culturally where there's such an incongruence between the idea of someone's biological sex and gender? That's a great question. I think to understand that, I wanna keep pulling back on a theory that we've been talking about through this entire series, right? Called personhood theory. What, what is personhood theory? I, I hope you're getting this because I really feel like this framework undergirds a lot of these conversations we're having and it's basically a dual view of you. It's this idea that you and I are made up of two separate entities, two separate substances. Now let's go back to our board, okay? Personhood theory was first introduced to us by Descartes back in the 1600s, and it's really shaped Western thought today. We've talked about this in regards to abortion. Really, it's had impact in the way culture has approached racism. We've seen that it impacts sexuality. The same is true when it comes to the conversation of gender. Why? Let me show you. Because if the body, which is part of this lower story, and it is set and it is based on fact, right? We get that the body is biology. We understand that. But if the mind or the person or the identity, the way you view yourself, the way you view the world, is separate from the body, if these are separate constructs, well, then guess what? How you view your identity could be different than your physical body, according to this theory. I want us to understand how we've gotten to this place in Western thought. Well, if you split the two, then what do we understand? That the body might be fact, but the mind and my identity might always be changing. And so when we consider that in our culture today, what we see is a split. We see a split from the body to the identity. We're also seeing right now a split from biological sex and gender. They're being split. And some are saying, because people don't fit neatly maybe into these kind of basic binary categories, at least the way culture views them, that some people are saying that there are more than two genders. So it's not just male and female. That there might be multiple genders. There could be dozens. There, I mean, I don't know if any of you remember this, because I remember it made kind of big news. But back in 2014, Remember when Facebook changed the gender or identity categories from two, male and female, to include about 56 different gender identities. This was in 2014. It was shocking. They were kind of out there, you know. And since then, it's, I believe, increased to about 71 different options that you can choose. Now, do we have 71 different genders? That's the question. Okay, well, how do we end up with who determines how many? And some people are saying that there are dozens. Some people are saying hundreds. Some people are saying thousands. There are some psychologists that are saying 
There's millions and millions of different possibilities. In fact, a, a psychologist named Patrick Sweeney, um, here's how he defined gender expression. He said this, gender identity and gender expressions, he said, have an infinite number. That's a lot. An infinite number of possible variations. Here's what's interesting. And they function as dynamic and fluid in different social contexts and across the lifespan. Here's a psychologist who's saying how you express your gender can be so fluid depending on the social context or what point in life or whatever kind of matches what you feel. This is kind of culturally where we've gone, okay? Now, listen, as gender continues to be a changing social construct, that it constantly is moving and shifting and changing. And when you have a culture that has kind of built its entire thought based on these psychological principles, we should not be surprised when there are tons of ways for people to express themselves. This should not be a surprise to us. We should, we should understand that this is kind of the, the conversation in gender. Now, here's what I want to caution us to do. We can get so lost in the psychology of this, the cultural conversations, that we can easily lose sight of the fact that we're not talking about some topic. We're talking about real people. Please, in all of this today, do not lose sight of that. We're talking about real people that have real experiences, that are feeling real pain, an incongruence, that's not making this up. I think some people think that, that you know, it's just a fad. For, for some people, th this, is, this kind of goes to the core of the, one of the greatest emotional pain that they feel in life, and sometimes physical pain. And so this is a very real issue. And I want to address this uh, sensitively, sensitively, and I want to address this with Scripture. And so here's what I want to do. I want to now talk about what Scripture has to say about sex and gender. What does the Bible say? Now, the Bible does speak to this to an extent. This was not quite the conversation that it is today, back then. But I also don't want us to think that this idea of people expressing themselves as a different gender did not exist back then. Because it did. Back in Greco-Roman culture, um, it, it was, there were... There were more men than women. There were men who absolutely cross-dressed. There were men who, who identified as female, put on makeup, did all this. Stuff. That happened thousands of years ago. So this is not a new thing, but in our culture, the idea of gender and biological sex really being separated, to me, that is newer. And here's the thing I want us to understand as we're going to look at Scripture today. I want you to note the importance of sexual difference in Scripture. I believe there's something in Scripture we need to understand that is important when it comes to sexual difference. Now, in order to fully understand this, we've got to go back to the very beginning. And I know we've spent a lot of time in Genesis in this series, but when we go back to how God created us, it really does help inform us to understand the purpose of things. So when God created all of his um, creation in Genesis 1, and he gives the Cliffs Notes to Moses, and it's this rhythmic and poetic telling of it. When it gets to humanity, God slows down. He changes the narrative a little bit, and he expresses some things. Let me, let me show you this. Genesis 1, 26. We've already looked at this verse in this series, but we keep going back to it. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our what? Say it out loud. In our, let us. So God is a triune God. 
said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now, something I want to point out, it's really important, and I know we maybe if you've been in this series, we've hit this verse a few times. But when God created you and me, he put something on us, in us, that was intended to reflect him. There's something that God put. Now, why did God give us the gift of consciousness and the gift of intelligence and the gift of the ability, the capacity we have as humans? Well, we can see one thing is God put that in us so that we would rule over his creation. God, God, he said, I want you to mimic kind of me as in the authority, I'm gonna give it to you. This is a beautiful thing that God gave, it was a gift that God gave to us. Okay, our consciousness is a gift from God. But more than that, it wasn't just our intellect that God gave us that puts us in his image. It was also something in our body. I wanna show you this. Look at verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. How did God create them? This is important because Genesis narrative makes this distinctive. He made them what? He made them male and, come on, say it out loud. He made them male and female. He created them. So here's what I want us to understand. When God created mankind and said, I'm going to put my, my stamp on them. I'm going to make them in my image. What does scripture tell us? It's in that moment that God made them male and female. Now this is not referring to gender. This is referring to biological sex. Okay? Why, why is this important? Because sexual difference matters. Okay? Why we know because in the context, the very next verse, God tells them to go and procreate and fill the earth, okay? So we know that from the beginning, when God put his image in mankind, he put them on both male and female. And I think it's really important that we have a good understanding of this because I have seen some really bad theology when it comes to the sexes. I've seen it. Like sometimes people zoom in on Genesis 2, a little bit different perspective of creation account. And then it says that God made mankind, and so then God made this man. And when God made man and he put him in this garden, Scripture says that everything God made was good except for this man who was alone. And therefore, God saw he was alone and he needed some help, so then God made a woman to come and help him. And some people, can I just say this? Some people have developed really bad theology that they think that that means that God made men in his image and notice that man by himself needed a little help because he's kind of messing up some things. And so I'll go ahead and make a woman to help him. That's not what scripture teaches. That leads to really bad theology. Here's what scripture teaches. God in his fullness, in order to express his full image, put his image in both men and women. And without both of them, we do not fully know and understand the full expression in the image of God. We need both. Because when we have had bad theology, it's led to some really bad misogyny in the church. We need both, male and female. And what I'm trying to point out is the importance of sexual difference. This matters. And today in our culture, a lot of times it's, it's, we just want to throw it away. There, there are some people that are saying that we need to um, have a genderless culture, and I know that doesn't mean a biologically sexless culture. I understand that. But I think it's because some things have been twisted. 
Now, as we jump into the New Testament, and I want to go to the New Testament for a moment, I want us to see because Jesus says something about this, and we're going to see other people that say things about the body and say things about the sexual difference that matters. They uphold. In fact, Jesus came along and was asked the question once. He, he was asked, he said, is it okay for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? And back in their culture, uh, they missed the mark, and Jesus says, no, actually, Moses allowed you because your hearts were hard and you guys were jerks, but that's not really why. Uh, that's not how God intended it. And so what Jesus does is he refers back to Genesis. This is important. He affirms Genesis when he speaks in Matthew 19. Let me show you this. He says, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them, notice this, how? Male and female. What's he doing? He's quoting Genesis. He's quoting Genesis, what I read to you earlier. This is Jesus who's affirming the account. He said, and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's Genesis 2.24. What is he doing? Jesus is pointing to the way God created it, and God intended everything from the beginning. He is affirming the importance of sexual difference in man and woman. This was God's intent and God's plan, and he's affirming how God made the body. This is what I'm showing you, okay? This matters. Why? Because personhood theory argues that the body doesn't matter. Personhood theory says that your body is just a machine. It's just matter that doesn't matter. And one of the things we're discovering is, no, no, no. Scripture says your body does matter. Because we cannot fully express the nature and the imagery of God in just one, in just men, or just women. We need both. It does matter. And then you have like the Apostle Paul who comes along. And he speaks to the value of the body and the personhood together. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 6. Verse 19, do you not know that your what? Say it out loud. Your, your bodies, he's talking about your bodies, your physical bodies, right? Are temples of the Holy Spirit. A well, body doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with your identity. It has nothing to do with personal. No, 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 no. Paul says that's not true. Your body matters. And it's the temple of the Holy Spirit. Look at this. Who is in what? Well, he should have said who is in your body. What is Paul doing? He's drawing a connection between your body and your identity. This is what Paul's doing, right? Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, your person, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your what? Honor God with your bodies. Here's what I want us to understand. Personhood theory, and a lot of our culture and our Western thought is built on this theory. Personhood theory states that your body is irrelevant to your identity. What the Bible shows us when it comes to personhood, remember we learned this biblical personhood, is that who you are, all, this is all of you, is made up of body, soul, and spirit, and they are interconnected. They are not separate entities, but they are all, we don't fully understand it, but they're all interconnected, and they are part of who you are, your identity, and it's part of the image of who God is. There's something about a triune God that is expressed in each of us, body, soul, and spirit, and that they all matter. And like some would say it this way, um, that, that we are not bodies with a soul, but we are embodied souls. There's a difference. 
And here's what I want us to understand, how important the body is to Scripture. How important the body is to the gospel. The body matters. Why? Because when Jesus showed up, he didn't show up in spirit. He showed up in flesh. When Jesus came to this earth, he showed up in a body. And Jesus suffered in his body for humanity. And Jesus, he gave up his life through a physical death on the cross. And they laid his body in a tomb. This is what we're celebrating in a few weeks. And then on the third day, God raised him back to life. And that's not just in spirit, but bodily resurrection. And all of us who are in Christ will be raised with bodily resurrection. And so the body is not just something to throw away. The body matters. It matters. It matters as to who you are. I I love this quote by Preston Sprinkle. He's the author of a book called Embodied, which I'll recommend later. But here's what he said. Scripturally, biological sex is a significant aspect of human identity. Your identity is connected to your biology, and it matters. It really matters. Now, one of the arguments that is made today when it comes to the body uh, as to how many genders might we have, one of the arguments made for multiple genders is um, people pointing toward those that are intersex or have an intersex condition. I want to take a moment and talk about it because this is not just a theory. This is not a cultural contract. These are real people. Okay, intersex is a medical condition where someone is born where maybe their sexual anatomy or reproductive system does not perfectly or fully align as either male or female. Okay, this is a real condition. It's a small condition. Is it less than 1% of people that have real, some say as high as 1.7, but understand in that, in that big narrative of 1.7 includes a lot of people that are intersex that don't even know it. You can, you can be intersex and not even be aware. Um, the, there are most people, and I'm not going to say all, but a majority of people who are intersex that have intersex condition, majority of them are not confused as to whether or not they're male or female. Majority of them are not. It, it can be such slight differences. It could have something that happened in, in utero. It could be, a lot of people don't even find out until puberty, okay? It could be a, a hormone deficiency. It could be something that affects the sexual anatomy of variety. It, it's, it's a span, it runs a span. Here's the sad reality, um, is that people with a physical condition such as intersex are often used in a political debate about gender identities. Can I just tell you that's not really fair? It's not really fair for people in their condition to be hijacked for some kind of cultural conversation. And the truth is that it can oftentimes, this can be quite misleading. Because some people will say, well look at intersex, there's people who have, uh, it's just all these, they're not male or female. They have all these other different, you know, it just shows us there's lots of different possibilities of genders. Here's what I would say to that, okay? Here's what I'd say. Those who are intersex have some variation or combination of male and female, but you never find anybody who's intersex who has actually a third category of sex, okay? It's always a variation of the two. Here's what, this is really important, Okay? That, that this idea that, well, intersex shows us there's multiple genders. No, 
it just shows us there's people that have some variation of the two primary sex, male and female. In other words, they don't actually have brand new organs or a whole new reproductive system that doesn't fit into what we have largely in our population. It's a combination of the two. And here's the thing. So why are we talking about intersex? Because they're real people and because the Bible talks about them. I wonder if you knew that. The Bible actually talks about people with conditions like this. In fact, uh, one of the words that you'll see in Scripture that sometimes would apply to this is the word eunuch. Have you ever heard the term eunuch? Yeah, eunuch. Can I, can I show you what the Bible has to say about eunuchs? Because I actually think it's important. I really do. Um, th- there's several places where you can see the Bible refer to eunuchs. Now, Jesus talked about eunuchs in Matthew 19. Remember the passage we just read of what Jesus did? He affirmed Genesis' account. That in the beginning, God created them male and female. Right? This is important. He, he, he affirms that. Later, in that same conversation, Jesus brings up eunuchs. Here's what he says. He says, some were born this way, and some were made eunuchs by others. Now, just so you know, and it's pretty barbaric practice, right? Uh, the ones that were made eunuchs, most of the time what happened was they would castrate boys before they hit puberty so that they would not so that they could serve as slaves or so that they could serve especially in royal palace serving queens serving women so they would not be a threat to them and so this was a barbaric thing but Jesus says yeah but there were some who were born that way now here's what i want you to see and this is fascinating to me in the same chapter Matthew 19 what does Jesus do in one moment he says this is how god created from the beginning male and female And then a few verses later, guess what he says? And yet we also have eunuchs. And he doesn't answer it. And he doesn't solve the tension. All he does is say, it's real. It's a reality. This is the way God created male and female. But guess what? We have people that don't fit into those categories. And you know what? They're real people that God loves just as much. Just as much. How do we know that? Because of the rest of scriptures. Like I I love this. Um, In Acts chapter 8... There's, there's a, a moment where there's an Ethiopian eunuch who is traveling from Jerusalem back to Ethiopia. And here's what God does. God orchestrates sending Philip to find him, share the gospel with him, baptize him. All, God divinely lines all of that up for this Ethiopian eunuch. What do we see? God loves them. God loves them just as much as he loves any of us. In fact, I I found this passage in Isaiah 56. It's so beautiful. I I want you to think about some of the pain that, and I know a term we use intersex today, that some people that are born that may never be able to have children, some people that are born with this condition that may not never have children, and there's something beautiful that this reminds us, this promise. Isaiah 56 says, for this is what the Lord says. I will bless those, look at this, eunuchs, who will keep my Sabbath days holy and who choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. Those who will follow me, serve me. Okay, here's what he says. I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name far greater than sons and daughters could ever give. Isn't that powerful? Do you know that at certain places in the temple that men who were castrated were not even allowed to go? 
What does God say? God says, no, 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 no. I'm going to give them a name that is even greater. I'm going to give them dignity that is even greater than having kids will allow them. For the name I give them is an everlasting one. It will never disappear. I love the heart of God toward those who don't fit into the categories that we just have in our culture and we just assume everybody's in. There's something powerful to me about that. If there's anything that we should get through Scripture, it's the heart of God toward those who feel like they do not fit and maybe biologically don't fit. And so th- this is, this is a, a big question. The big question today is this. Is gender identity a reflection of biology or something separate? Now, we, we've gone through some scriptures. There's not a ton, but we've gone through some scriptures. And I think the tendency that we have, even in the church, is to oversimplify this and to kind of dismiss the way culture views gender. I see this happening so much politically. There's so much fight over this, and there's so much confusion. And let me just say this. I would challenge all of us to not have the kind of political meandering, the kind of political uh, polarization of just dismissing the way culture views this. Why? Because if the church wants to make a difference... It needs to stop dismissing culture, but it needs to meet culture where it is and lead them to a better way. Please hear me. This idea of just dismiss, that's dumb. Can we stop doing that? That's why the church isn't relevant. Because we don't understand the conversation happening in culture. If we understood the conversation, then we could understand how to talk to people about it. And so I want to talk real quick about gender, and I want to talk about how culture defines gender. This is a great definition. I didn't make this up. I got this from Preston Sprinkle, who got this from somebody else. So, gender. The psychological, social, and cultural aspects of being male and female. So, here's how culture views gender. I know you're going, well, gender and sex are the same thing. Culture is saying that biological sex is your male or female. Your reproductive parts, your anatomy, all that good stuff, right? Here's what... Culture says that gender is actually the social or cultural expression of what it means to be a man or a woman. And when we understand that, then we can understand the challenges facing our culture today. I want to talk a little bit about gender identities and gender roles because these are the two distinctives that come out of this definition. These are the things that are shaping the conversation, gender identities and gender roles. See, the reason why we have people in our culture today who are transgender, who feel like they do not fit, is because the cultural identity and roles of men and women has actually created these very small boxes and say, you have to fit. Let's let's be honest about this. We have some basic gender identities that have become cultural norms that aren't necessarily rooted in any kind of fact or biology, but it just becomes a norm. You know how something becomes a norm? Let me tell you how it becomes a norm. When a majority of the people identify with it. Not everybody, but a majority of them identify with it. And so what do we have today? Well, when it comes to gender identities, here's what we have. Um, We have masculine and feminine. We have masculine stereotypes We have feminine stereotypes, right? And I want to just show you why some people really feel like they don't fit. What are some general masculine uh, stereotypes? Well, here's one. 
um, if you're a man, a real man, you'll love sports, right? You're pretty aggressive, rough, kind of rugged. You don't mind being outside all day. You don't mind going a day without showering, although you really should. You are, um, you know, you're, you're kind of like strong and brave, and you never cry. Don't ever let them see you cry, and you prefer blue. That's masculine, right? That's real maleness, is, is you're rough and tough, and you're, you know, and, and this is kind of how our culture basically defines what it means to be masculine. And then likewise, we have feminine stereotypes. What are feminine stereotypes? Well, if you're a woman, you're soft, and you're gentle, and you're sensitive, and you're emotional, and you love crying. Like, you get excited about a good cry. Like, how does he know these things? I'm married to a woman. I know. You, you, you like, um, you, you, you love shopping. You love clothes. You love makeup. You wear long hair. And you love the color pink. I, I want us to recognize something. Though that might apply to many men and many women, can I also just, can we also recognize that that probably doesn't, the way I've defined it, apply to all the men in this room or all the women in this room? In fact, do you understand that the whole blue and pink thing was completely reversed 100 years ago? That's a cultural perspective, okay? So what, I, what I'm saying is the reason why there's a lot of people that have felt like they don't fit they're not welcome is because they don't identify with those kind of identities in our culture. And we have to be careful because they're dangerous. They're really dangerous. We also see this play out when it comes to gender roles, right? Gender roles. What are the basic gender roles? Well, if you're the man, then you go off to work and you're the primary breadwinner. And if you're the woman, you stay home barefoot and you raise children. Can we all agree those are ridiculous? Yes, hello? Can we agree those are ridiculous? I, I just want to point that out. Do you know where these gender roles came from? <laughs> they came from the Industrial Revolution. Because prior to the Industrial Revolution, where most people were agricultural, guess what? Men and women both worked to provide for the family. And both of them helped raise the children. And they were both equally involved and invested in the family. And then the moment everything switched to manufacturing and creating goods and a factory line, guess what happened? Men went off to work. Why? Because, well, the women carry the children. And they have the babies. And so they should stay home and raise the children. And what have we done? We've created these things that, can we be honest, that for hundreds and hundreds of years since this came into place, women have been fighting to say, no, I want to be seen as equal. I can make a good living and I can care about my kids at home. And oh, by the way, I've met some women that make far better bosses and CEOs than a lot of men I've met. Okay, I just... What, what I want us to recognize is how harmful and dangerous stereotypes can be. Just because a lot of people fit into that category does not mean everybody fits into that category. And when we have these very limited gender identities and roles, 
we wonder why our culture is resisting. Can I just say this? That we, we have some people that have not fit into these clean, neat gender identities and roles that have made some incredible contributions for humankind. Some of the greatest artists that have not fit into the stereotypes of what it means to be a man or a woman have contributed immensely to humanity throughout the years. And so I think we need to recognize the danger of this. And oh, listen to me, we also need to recognize the danger of this in the church. Because the church at times has perpetuated the same thinking. You ever heard of men's ministry? Women's ministry? Do, do you know how men's ministries are characterized oftentimes in the church? It's like, we're gonna have a football club. We're gonna have a hunting club. We're gonna get together and throw axes. Wear camo. A lot of times, men's ministry in the church kind of looks a little bit more like a militia than it does a bunch of men. <laughs> or want to know what it means to be devoted to Jesus, and right? And what has women's ministry been like, okay? Women's ministry is, has often been like, uh, let's just get together and croquet. Mm. We'll make pottery. I don't know, maybe it's not a bad idea. Women's ministry has been like, let's just pick flowers, get into a circle, and let's drink coffee or tea, and let's have a bunch of tissues, and let's just cry about everything that's bothering us. I don't know if you're excited about that or not, but <laughs> can I just tell you, um, both of those do a massive disservice to what it means to be a godly man or a godly woman. Both of those do. We, we have tried, our, our leadership has tried in the last few years as we've kind of really begun to see the impact of this and go, we don't want to perpetuate these kind of harmful stereotypes because this isn't how everybody feels and this is not how God made everyone to fit into these categories. You know what, it, in my mind, what it means to be a, a godly man or godly masculinity? It's men who love Jesus more than they love themselves. It's men who are committed and faithful spouses, who are loving and devoted fathers, who believe in giving as much of themselves at home and to raising their kids as they do to their jobs or their careers. It's men who are strong and brave, but also sensitive and kind. It's these kind of men who take very seriously not just putting food on the table, but being a spiritual leader for their entire home. That's what godly masculinity looks like. And oh, by the way, Godly femininity, you know what it looks like? It's women who are sensitive but are also strong. Women who are intelligent because they are. Women who are capable because they are. Women who are brilliant and can add so much to the conversations that we have in life. What are women? Women who are incredible wives, who are also amazing mothers, who could also go and have a career if they really feel like God's leading them to a career. Or it would be just as valuable to be home raising world changers in the house. This is what it means to be a godly woman today. And it matters. It has nothing to do with pink or blue. I've heard it say what we need today more than anything, we need sensitive men and we need strong women. That's what we need. In order for the full expression of the image of God, we need men and women to be who God really created them to be, not stereotypes and not roles that are defining based on culture. And so here's the, the real question that we're asking today. Our identity is a big thing. 
We all wrestle with our identity. Think about how even at a young age, so many of us wrestle with who we are. When it comes to our identity, this is the ultimate question that's being asked in this conversation. Which takes priority? What is it, your inner sense of self or is it your biology? This is the the question. If, If what I feel doesn't match my body, can I match my body to how I feel? And what's interesting is that is the cultural perspective in a postmodern society. How you feel, if this does not line up, change this, the biology, to match this. I would ask this question. Why is it that we change something God-given that's a fact to match how we feel rather than wrestling to change how we feel to match this? Why? In fact, I'll, I'll leave you with this thought. When I, when I think about it and I wrestle it all, I would say it this way. Neither scripture nor science give any indication that our inner sense of self should define our identity over our sexed bodies. There, there's no indication in science. By the way, all of this gender identities, the multiple genders, the construct, all of that stuff, this is not science. Might be social science today. It's not physical science, right? Okay, and so... I would say that neither scripture nor science would lead us to believe that it's really okay to change our body to match how we feel. And oh, by the way, I would caution all of us when it comes to our feelings. Here's what I would say. I would caution all of us. Be careful because your feelings do change. They really do. If I gave in mentally to every feeling that I have when it comes to how I view myself, I'm gonna miss the truth of how God sees me. This is is true, right? Because there's times, can I be honest, there's times when I don't feel like I'm very good. There's times when I don't feel like I have a lot of value. There's times when I don't feel like I'm really worth it. There's times when I don't feel like God would really love me. There's times when I look at the way I think, the things I've done, and I think there's no way God would really accept me. There's times when I feel that way. But I don't ever want that to define me more than the truth of what God says about me and how God feels about me. God says that I am loved. God says that I am forgiven. If I understand that, I don't live in how I feel in that moment, but I live in the truth of what God's word says about me. This is gonna be something we all wrestle with to an extent. I understand, I'm not trying to belittle anybody that feels gender dysphoria that really wrestles. It's a real thing. But I would caution us of just change our bodies to match how we feel. What we're finding out is that it actually doesn't alleviate the pain. It really isn't. You know, um, Sweden is a nation that's been far progressive when it comes to um, people that feel like they don't identify to get surgery, sex reassignment surgery. Um, it's kind of led the way on really encouraging people to puberty blockers, start taking medicines, and actually have surgery. Match your body to how you feel. Which, by the way, is to me a little scary if gender is so fluid that it can change from one context to another. I'd be real cautious about doing that. And they did a study that was posted on the National Institute of Health in 2011. Now this is again, very forward-facing, progressive nation when it comes to this. And they've studied hundreds of people that had gender reassignment surgery. And I wanna just show you their conclusion. I found this on National Institute of Health. This is the conclusion of their study. 
They said persons with transsexualism after sex reassignment have considerably, note this, higher risks for mortality, suicidal behavior, and psychiatric morbidity than the general population. Here's what they discovered. They thought by changing their sexual anatomy to match how they felt, it would alleviate the internal tension and the pain. And to some extent, it helped with gender dysphoria. But what they found out was that even afterwards, it wasn't like they, were, they had the same numbers as the rest of society. The, the numbers of mortality, suicidal behavior was just as high afterwards. And you would think if, if I could match my body to how I feel, then everything goes away. And yet it doesn't. There's still the pain and the stress of wrestling with this. And, and there's people who have gender dysphoria. And then I think that this has become so popular culturally that there are a lot of young people that are being influenced into changing their gender because of something else. I was reading this um, story, this article in the New York Post about transgender youth when I was preparing for this. And I came across a story that kind of broke my heart. There's a young girl named Chloe. And when Chloe was 11 years old, she got Instagram. And the moment she got Instagram, she started seeing all this content for transgender activism. And she saw how the transgender community were being celebrated, all the spotlight, the attention that they were getting, that she wasn't. And she didn't have a lot of friends. And she wanted that. She wanted to be accepted. She wanted to be celebrated. She wanted to be wanted. And so at age 12, she told her parents that she was transgender. And they took her to go see doctors. By the way, a lot of doctors today are encouraged that if someone expresses this, you immediately put them on puberty blockers as quickly as possible. Not all, but, but that is, in fact, one of the challenges is that if you do not help start this process of transition, we're talking about young people, that parents are even told that you can be complicit in their death eventually from suicide. This is how difficult this is. And at age 12, she went on puberty blockers. At age 15, she had a double mastectomy. At age 16, she regretted her decision and transitioned back to a girl. And when I read one of the reasons why she moved forward with it, it kind of broke my heart. And I want to show you this quote. This is what she said. She said, because my body didn't match beauty ideals, I started to wonder if there was something wrong with me. I thought I wasn't pretty enough to be a girl, so I'd be better off as a boy. But deep inside, this was the real desire. I wanted to be pretty all along, but that's something I kept suppressed. This, this is, I know this isn't everybody's story. There's some people that experience real painful gender dysphoria, and I'm not discounting that, but there are a lot of people today that are just, our culture is just saying, you can be who and whatever you want to be, and if you want to match that, change your body to match that, then do that, and that'll solve all these problems, and it's not. It's not. And so as a community, here's what I think our heart should be. Number one, be sensitive to the transgender community. If some of you, for political reasons and 
been so polarized and it feel like this is just part of some kind of agenda that you just constantly are railing and fighting and maybe have even looked down on people that are transitioning, they're in the process, you can't tell, made fun of them. We need to stop that. That is not behavior that aligns with the heart of Jesus. Jesus cares deeply for every single person, every intersex conditioned person, every man, every woman, every confused person in the middle. And we as a church, if there's any community that people should feel safe to run to, it is this community. It is the church community. It's not some other community. It's this community. The church exists for hurting and broken people. And all of us at times go through identity crisis. And our hope is Jesus. Our hope is turning to him. And so I, I think this is a really complicated matter. And I think we're always going to be learning and growing in this area. But I want to challenge the church. Let's take the right heart and the right posture toward those in the trans community. Let's love them. Let's show them that they're welcome. They're loved. Listen, you're loved by God. You're loved by this community. You're wanted in this community. It's so tragic to me, the high rate of suicide around people who feel like no one wants them or accepts them because they don't fit. Can I just tell you, we'll just be a church full of misfits and you're welcome to come here to be a part of this community. We're gonna love you and you are valuable. You're valuable. That's the heart of Jesus when it comes to this conversation, amen. Come on, let's pray. God, I... I thank you for just really challenging all of us when it comes to these cultural conversations. God, and I thank you for the grace that you have for all of us. I think of how all of us, God, are just, we feel lost at times. Lord, I pray specifically for those watching this right now or in the room that God are either wrestling with their own gender identity or maybe they have a loved one or friend that they care deeply about, that they see in the midst of this turmoil. God, I pray for your grace. I pray that your spirit would minister to them. I pray that every single one of those people would know, I pray every single one of them would know how much you love them and how valuable they are to us and to you. And I pray, God, that they hear a message of hope today. I pray for those who are struggling that they hear there's hope because I believe hope comes in the form of a person and his name is Jesus. Listen, as we're praying, maybe, maybe you're here and you've been in this entire series and you've wrestled with who you are. Can I tell you there's an identity that matters more than your gender, your sexuality, more than anything you've done in the past? And that is your identity as a son or daughter of Jesus. That the King of Kings welcomes you into his, into his arms, fully loving you. Can I tell you how much Jesus loves you? He loves you so much that he came in bodily form and he died a real death and he came back to life to extend eternal life to all who would receive him as the Lord and Savior. Maybe you're here, you're watching this right now and maybe what you need in all your other confusions is to say yes first to Jesus. The greatest identity you will ever have is a Christ follower. And so if that's your prayer, if that's your desire, even today you're like, I, I want to know Jesus, the one who loves me. I, I broken and messed up, I want to know him. If that's your desire, would you just say this prayer with me today? You say, Jesus, today I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I believe you died for me. You rose again to give me new life. Forgive me of my sin. God, meet me in my brokenness. 
God, I pray that you would just fill every person who prayed those words with your spirit. I pray they would know how much you love them and care for them. And I pray, God, that this would be the beginning of a new identity and a new journey with you that will change them forever. God, may your spirit walk with them every moment from this point forward. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, amen. Can we thank God for just meeting people today? Thank you, Jesus. Hey, listen, if you prayed that prayer with me today, I just, I want to just say welcome to the family of God. I don't care what your past looks like. I don't care what your story looks like today. You're welcome in this community. We want to walk with you. We want to lead you to know Jesus. And so we've got some stuff that we can help you do that. You can stop off at Next Steps on your way out. Or if you're online, would you just throw it in the chat? Today I received Jesus. Would you let us know? And we would love to reach out to you. We'd love to get you some resources to help you. And we want to come alongside you. And we want to walk with you through whatever you're going through. That's why we're here now, as we wrap up our series today, I've been sharing with you some resources. So like always, I want to give you a few resources. If this is a conversation that just affects you, I had, uh, I had a father approach me after the last experience that his daughters, one of, his, one of uh, her really good friends is in the process of transition. And the tears in his eyes as he watches his daughter befriending her and the challenge is, like, it's real. Is real, And so if you would love to learn more about this, uh, a great book I recommend, I recommend one of his other books, but Preston Sprinkle's book called Embodied. And I read a quote from it earlier. This is a fantastic book that kind of balances understanding all the science and cultural things, but also understanding scriptural. So um, Preston Sprinkle, I love his stuff in this area. Another one is Mark Yarhouse. Um, and he did this, this book with someone else. He has a few different books. This one's called Emerging Gender Identities. Julia Sadowski was also in this book. Um, I've read some of this book, not all of it. But Mark Yarhouse is a Christian psychologist that just has a well-known voice for years and years in regards to sexuality and gender. And so he has another one called Understanding Gender Dysphoria that um, is also a good book. I'd encourage you if you want to pick that up. And then a book that we've already talked about. I love this book. If you understand personhood theory in all of these. Nancy Piercy's book, Love Thy Body, is a really good book. And so these are some great resources. Again, we just want to make them available and just say, hey, please go get them. If you are a parent of someone who wrestles with this, please know we, we would love to be able to pray with you, pray for you, and be in this because this is a real conversation today. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We wanna connect with you and we wanna be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I want to say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.